Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the TetraCast. My name is Zach Grease. I'm your host. It is the May 19th, 2018 edition. Joining me today, I've got one special guest, Adam Vitali. Which episode number is this? this? Do you keep track of that? Yeah, I, I mean, I do keep track of it. We're on episode 112. Wow. Yes. We've been going on for quite a while. Not always consistent. Uh, back when we had our 100th episode, I, I did mention at the time that, yeah, we started, it was like a monthly podcast, but even then it was inconsistent. And then it was a yeah. bi-weekly, and then it became weekly, and now it's just kind of gone crazy. So, mm-hmm. we've been doing this for about four years now. It's still kind of a mess, but that's okay. We kind of do it the way we do. <laughs> Have fun with yeah. it, so. Yeah, um, but getting back to the podcast, it looks like that, once again, it's been kind of a slow news week, but um, partially because, of course, we're on the ramp up to E3. Uh, That'll be happening uh, a month from now, in fact. Uh, That didn't stop some big news from happening, of course, uh, which we'll get into in a little bit, but anything you've been doing exciting this past week, Adam? Uh, Not especially. Uh, Just kind of, you know... I like spring and summer. You know, this is probably my favorite time of year. So yeah, it's, it's your first. It's your first summer. or will be anyway in uh, on the West Coast. Uh, uh, right. How have you been liking the weather so far? I know you were in. Uh, was it New Mexico? I well, I was in Atlanta for several years, and Atlanta summers are not super hot, really. No, just but they are humid as hell. Yes, and it sucks. Like you're swimming through the air. I live in I live in Washington State now, but I live on the east side of the state, where you know people like my my family. When I told them I was moving here, they they joke like, "Enjoy the rain." Like, no, no, no. I live on the other side of the mountains where it's dry as heck. Yeah, and honestly, <laughs> yeah, uh, and honestly, it's it gets pretty hot, like a hundred degrees easy during the summer. Yeah, but it's yeah. dry, and that's really no. It's hundred degrees is not that bad when it's dry it's certainly preferable to atlanta uh 80 degrees and humid uh but i still like this time of year uh, i'm going to e3 this year for the first time actually so yeah. uh I, i've been to several different you know conventions or whatnot but first time actually going to e3 so that's exciting to actually meet more people yeah, and see it in person for the, mm-hmm. for the first time um obviously you've been working for the site for several years now since like what 2014 2013 <laughs> 2013. 2013, yeah. Uh, so it's it's obviously been a long time. Yeah, this is like this is going to be my um, uh, second summer, I should say, in, in California. I guess it'd be third, right? Because I showed up in 2016, and last year you skipped E3. Yeah, I I didn't go to. I mean, I didn't skip California, but this will. Yeah, I did not go to E3 last year. So in fact, because of that, I don't know exactly the layout because uh, last year, of course, it's, they opened up E3 to large parts of the public uh, where they were giving away yeah. tickets. Not given away. You had to spend like 500 bucks a ticket. But all I heard were kind of the horror stories as far as, uh, you know, long ass lines, but they didn't adjust the, the way that people lined up uh, yeah. like they should have. Uh, I don't know if it's going to get any better this year. Uh, it's been kind of interesting to see the reaction on Twitter as far as like what's going on. For example, on um, Daniel Dwyer, who's a pretty popular guy uh, in in the games journalism space, he runs a uh, site called NoClip, or actually it's like a it's like a channel that he runs um, that he does a lot of different documentaries. Like he did a an incredible Final Fantasy fourteen one that everyone should go see uh, that 
went deep into the development all the way from like the conception to 1.0 and 2.0 with a realm reborn and he did another one for witcher 3 but regardless he was talking about how that he only got one invite this year uh despite being pretty much games press because he does a lot of that stuff even then a lot of coverage and it seems like they're kind of leaning like kind of like uh not allowing as many press people before or at least the they're going for more traditional press like we are in, in a sense yeah especially because you know he does video content yes. and one person by himself doing it the crew that he needs yeah. a camera crew i mean we we have seven people going <laughs> so it's just yeah we got, we got seven people and you know we're all kind of spread out doing our own uh piece of, of the thing but you know obviously i imagine part of it is because that uh we have been doing this for a while and so uh we're our content's easy to trace whereas i mean yeah it's but in the, at the same breath it's like you know there's been a larger emphasis on influencers and other people that yeah strictly producing video content like he does now that it's kind of bizarre to see something like that happening so i think i think uh, i think the esa or e3 is uh there i think they still more they still lean towards more traditional journalists but we have been seeing like rather than like youtubing uh people uh but we have seen definitely more and more cases where uh publishers and platform holders are really embracing uh, streamers and YouTubers, influencers, and using them to basically promote their content. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's interesting in a way. Yeah, I mean, uh, of course. And, and that's something that you definitely saw uh, at, well, obviously you haven't yet, but at E3, it definitely changed from that. Like I've been going to E3 since 2010. Like I said, outside from last year when I couldn't go uh, due to uh, time constraints, uh, instead I got to go to Anime Expo for the first time, which was a blast. But um, like it's changed so much since those days of like 2010 and 2011 and 2012, especially like around there where it was um, they kind of swung different ways, where like it got way more strict about the people that could come in, like they wouldn't allow even like those the GameStop people, like I, a lot of people know that you know. GameStop was able to get like a lot of managers and employees into E3 for one reason or another, but they kind of, um, you know, uh, were more restrictive at that time. But then they uh, loosen the uh, loosen the grips, and now I think that this E3 will kind of determine how even us as a site will approach the event because if it means we're going to have less time to go hands on with the games that we want to check out or uh you know it's way too busy or like we're, we're not having a, a good enough time like is it really worth the investment and instead decide to do more you know go to the developer or publisher themselves directly and, and try to get the content that way or go to like you said you've been going to these other events like i think you you've you've gone to pax right uh, I have not. Oh, okay. Well, are you planning on going to the PAX West? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I, I live pretty close to there now, yeah, so why not? You can, you can go. No. Uh, uh, so Just a weekend trip, yeah. Exactly. Uh, that's that's kind of the thing. And then, you know, you've got like Anime Expo, which a lot of the stuff that we covered, you know, JRPGs uh, and other like visual novels, Atomic Games, all kinds of stuff like that, uh, that, that we can get as many as much coverage there as well like we're talking like a lot of the companies we work with idea factory nice america axis ben and echo especially it seems like in some cases in many cases 
the holding off their announcements for big games until even Anime Expo or some other anime conventions because this is their target audience, of course. They don't get buried uh, in terms of coverage because of other stuff being shown. Uh, even Sony seems to be kind of retracting as far as uh, what they want to reveal at E3. They kind of spread it out towards other events like Paris Games Week, Tokyo Game Show, uh, even their own PSX, which last year was kind of a disappointment uh, as far as reveals are concerned. But, you know, that's that's the kind of thing we'll figure out when we, when we come to it. But it's just been kind of interesting to see what the opinion of e3 has been and how much you know it's kind of changed like how much you're willing to spend to invest in these and in, in, to go to e3 and now it's just a lot of these like panels uh and stuff like that like the stuff you would normally see at like a pax which then why mm-hmm. go to e3 at all you know if it's just going to be like fan events you know where it doesn't help the press at all to go there obviously it's good for the fans but for the press it's kind of a different story but kind of something i've noticed uh yeah well let's let's get back to uh what we should be doing as far as the podcast and let's get into the games that we've been playing now of course you uh posted your review for Shin Megami Tensei Strange Journey Redux uh a week ago you also posted sort of the uh, your um what you saw were the changes between the original release of Strange Journey back on the DS and this Redux uh, so talk to us a little bit about the, uh, your impressions of that. It seemed pretty darn positive, which I'm not too shocked by. Yeah. Um, so obviously Atlas has remade a ton of their DS games for 3DS. Uh, like, let's see, both Devil Survivor games, Etrian Odyssey 1 and 2, and it's just Radiant Historia. Uh, and so this isn't new to them in terms of <laughs> this doing this, this sort of enhanced re-release uh, and we were also seeing that with Catherine for, uh, what's that, for PlayStation 4? Yeah. Uh, so anyways, uh, Shin Megami Tensei Strange Journey Redux, uh, the, it's a, I remember when it was first coming out, I was familiar with Shin Megami Tensei, the, the original game back in 2009. I was familiar with Shin, Shin Megami Tensei, and I knew it was connected to Persona, but I wasn't, not nearly as familiar as I am now. But it was, I remember it being a little bit, of an interesting time because at that time Shimigami Tensei was had found a home on PlayStation 2 and there was a bunch of games on PlayStation 2 uh, Nocturne, the Digital Devil Saga games, the Raidu Devil Summoner games, uh, Persona 3 and 4 which you know I know are not technically SMT but close enough yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, it wasn't Strange Journey wasn't the first SMT game on DS it actually came out just in the same year but after uh the original Devil Survivor, which is a, a strategy RPG. Uh, but when this game was coming out, it had a battle system that was didn't really feel like a spinoff. It, it's more of the it's more of a turn based battle system RPG, yeah. like you know, like Nocturne. But it was made, or at least partially made, by Landcars, who were the developers of the first uh, couple of Etrian Odyssey games. So Strange Journey Redux is kind of a uh, an SMT game with an Etrian Odyssey uh, style to it. And weird, but that it, you know, it's it's it does sound it's like even more approachable because of that for for people. Well, well, it's actually kind of interesting because like uh, Shin Megami Tensei Three Nocturne, that was the that was the first mainline game that was localized to English, and it features uh, you know it's third person. You control your the demi fiend in these in these uh, in this post apocalyptic Tokyo environment with a turn based battle system. 
Now, Strange Journey Redux, being a Tree Odyssey, basically, in style, is first person. So that, to some people, is just, uh, you know, a deal breaker. They, they, don't, they don't like first person, uh, and they don't want to deal with it. And it kind of felt like a step backwards from Nocturne. But people, what people may not realize is the first two SMT games for Super Famicom, which were not translated or not officially released in English, were also first person games. Um, kind of like the the first Persona game too. Yeah, so it it's was. like with the and, school navigation, it was all first person. I mean, they yeah, were so it, scenes of isometric uh, story scenes, but that was it. Yeah. So so the fact that Strange Journey Redux was first person, it wasn't this you know brand new style change. It was almost kind of a a, a callback to earlier styles, only with the Etrian Odyssey, you know, mapping not quite as intricate as Etrian Odyssey style mapping, but similar. So, Strange Journey is a really interesting game. It's it's mechanically solid, like in terms of the fusion mechanics, the demon mechanics, uh, the the alignments for law neutral chaos. It's a uh, which is you know SMT staples. Yeah. It's a really mechanically solid game, but it's also a fascinating narrative too. And it's a bit hard for me to describe why exactly. Not especially like story based because it's really not a lot of things like happen over the course of the game and it's not a very dynamic game it's not you know cinematic or anything like that and i i i'm also hesitant to say that it's character based either in terms of its narrative um it's what it is instead it's it feels like a horror mystery novel or something like that the the premise is is um first of all one reason why this game is not called Shimigami Tensei 4 even though it was considered to be called that at one point, yeah. is because it does not take place in Japan. And that they just decided because of that, they'll give it a, the, the subtitle of Strange Journey instead. Is it, is it Japan it, or is it Tokyo? I don't know. Or Tokyo. I don't know. It, it doesn't take place in Tokyo. Yeah, I think that was it. Um, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. So it, the premise of the storyline is that a void, like a like a miles long huge void has appeared in Antarctica over Antarctica. It's like this purplish black hole type thing, and the the world basically creates a global sort of coalition task force to investigate what is this thing that is growing in size and threatens to consume the planet. So this task force that's global uh, basically comes up with a mission to investigate this phenomenon and see what it is and how to stop it. And so they, they send this group of people. It almost feels like Star Trek or something. You know, you got a crew and like these kind of fancy, uh, like, a task force or like, like that. ships, uh, in similar sort of sci-fi tone entering this, this, uh, portal. And they call it the Schwarzwelt. Uh, I guess is the name they decided to use. So I might be totally, uh, botching the pronunciation of that. It's for Schwarzwelt. German stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and basically what they realize is it's kind of this weird, uh, metaphysical reality where you kind of have these different environments kind of clashing with each other, uh, in sort of this weird reality here. And also it's full of demons and angels, of course. Of course. <laughs> and basically over the course of the game, you, it's kind of got this sense of hopelessness, this sense of mysteriousness, you know, danger. Uh, and you learn kind of over time why this thing is there. And different characters, two main ones, Elenin and 
Jimenez uh, basically kind of decide for themselves what this all means and how they should proceed from here. And it's just really fascinating. I think fascinating is the best word to use in terms of uh, this whole environment and and the, the situation and how the characters respond to it. And I feel like it almost does this better than, say, like Shimigami Tensei 4 does, which kind of feels almost a little bit more cartoony in comparison. Uh, and it's it just it kind of hooks you. Now, the original game on DS was not easy. It was pretty hardcore. Yeah. Uh, kind of like kind of like it had a similar uh, uh, reputation as Nocturne did, where it's. It, it's considered to be tough uh, and it's not holding your hand and you have to be well prepared. And if you don't know, if you don't think things through or you don't plan ahead, you're going to find the game over screen. Now, some people really appreciate that, but some people don't in this remake for 3ds, they added quite a few ways to make it uh, less unforgiving. They added easier difficulty modes. In fact, the standard difficulties probably easier than it was on ds but also other things as well like for example in the original game when you fuse demons together you didn't have full control over what abilities they would inherit now you do that's uh pretty good <laughs> yeah you can save anywhere on the map they ha- you have more save slots in general one of them is used to uh save anywhere on the map whereas before you could only save at certain terminals along the way which is like shimagami tensei 3 uh and other things as well, uh, in terms of you can hold more demons when they try to mutate a skill. It's easier to know what they're going to mutate the skill into, and just a bunch of things like that. Also, um, there are apps in the game that you that you basically equip that are like they're almost like uh, in-game cheats. Whereas earlier uh, Shin Megami Tensei games are kind of notorious for, and I, in fact, I think Persona Five still has this. Where if your main character dies, it's a game over. Is, is that still true of Persona Five? Uh, I believe so. I think that I think that was one of like um, the critiques people had. If I don't, if yeah, I don't it's kind of a funny thing because it's almost become a staple like thing of SMT games. It's like if your main character dies, you have to restart. Sorry, it's just how it is. I'm not saying it's how it is, but it just kind of feels like how they're saying it. Um, in this remake, you can basically equip an app to prevent that from happening. Where if your main character dies your demon party can you know still fight for you as long as they're still alive. So it's basically lightening things up. Now, a lot of those additions are optional. You can shut them off or just not use them if you want. There's a higher difficulty mode, which is basically in line with the original game. So I know I've seen some people complain that they're casualizing the game or whatever, and I don't think that's really fair. You can still play it you know, and challenge yourself, but it's just now more approachable. Uh, for people who maybe don't have time to to grind through a tough game and they just kind of want to experience it yeah, uh, more leisurely, yeah, that's, yeah, that's been like one of the the dumbest things that I've seen people have. It's like whenever they add something like that, like when they took permadeath away from Fire Emblem or, or anything like that, all of a sudden people are like, "Oh, they won't be able to experience a pureness." Like it's not like play it the way yeah. you want to play it. Don't worry about other, how other people are going <laughs> to play it. Just enjoy it. Okay, it's like Dark Souls too when they were like, "Oh, they're going to add an easy mode." Oh no! Yeah, it's, it's so <laughs> stupid. It's so lame and pathetic. Let it go. Yeah, and it's pretty easy to n- not use the additions that make things easier if you don't want to. Yeah, it's like it's no one's forcing you to do it but i'll be tempted to do it i don't know it's yeah. it's always like the the lamest thing that i see people complain about you know it's 
it's it's that thing about it being too casual or whatever you know once again if, if, if that stuff is still there it's the same as like saying witcher 3 play witcher 3 without any of the uh the uh the markers on your screen or anything like that or yeah. take, off all, take off the hud or all that stuff it's like you can make it as challenging as you want it to be but you shouldn't uh, be concerned about how other people are going to play it. like us when we have to review a game i might be inclined to maybe uh make some adjustments i mean i'll still like try to figure out what, how challenging the game is but then after a while i might like bring it like the difficulty down or something like that so that i can get yeah. through the game real quicker yeah like for this one for example i started on the normal mode you know just to experience what it's normally like yeah and it seemed a little bit easier than what i remembered from the past which is kind of what i expected and so i i bumped it up to the to the expert difficulty just to see how it was like and i you know if to me it feels like this is what the original game felt like to me and so when i'm reviewing a game i try to um, I try to get a little bit of a taste of the different difficulty modes and how fair they are, how they feel, and things like that. Yeah, you've played um, the original, so you know exactly yeah. what to expect from it, yeah. And one thing... Uh, I guess one thing that's also kind of neat about this game is that the characters are um, mostly... It's actually got a... It's got a cast that's kind of unique for for Atlas in general, really. Because a lot of their games are set in Japan, so all your characters are Japanese. But this game, like I said, it's a it's a global task force. So uh, you have characters that are from, like for example, the main two characters in the game. One of them is a woman named Zelenin, and she's Russian. One of the characters is Jimenez, and he's Latino in some way. Uh, and then there's other side characters. There's like clearly some people who are Americans. There's one who sort of is sort of cowboyish. There's some Asian people. Uh, there's even some like dark skin, you know, maybe not as dark skin, like dark tone, African-American, but darker skin characters as well. And I just think that's kind of, uh, like, I don't know if I really realized that on BS before how, how varied the cast is. And it's actually kind of interesting because you don't yeah. see that very often. No. That actually makes me uh, a little bit bummed that the game is Japanese voices only. On one hand, that's kind of interesting because there's honestly not that many Shin Megami Tensei games that you can have Japanese voices in because that's kind of new to Atlas. Yeah. But it, it, but the fact that this is a global coalition of characters and actually kind of canonically they are speaking English technically as a common language, I thought it, I think it would be cool to have that option. But I understand this is a pretty niche game in a dungeon crawling genre, yeah. and it's kind of and it is kind of neat to hear. For example, some of these demons that I'm very familiar with from playing all the other games, speaking in Japanese for once. So that's it. Actually, is kind of interesting, uh, but it is a little bit disappointing. It does, um, at least. Yeah, as you said, it, at least it makes logical sense considering it is a global task force. So they need to have people representing different nationalities. It always like, yeah. is kind of odd when you see it, like. Uh, they're all from different. Like it's it's the same like the Star Wars versus Star Trek argument about whether they should be speaking different languages or like if they yeah. understand each other or did they all speak English? You know that's, well, that's like there's concern. It's 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 got it's got that kind of. Uh, now I don't think this is just a localization thing, but there's even a couple of moments where like a character will mention, you know, he's speaking in plain English. Uh, like, are they actually speaking in English? Uh, I think I'm pretty sure they are. Like technically, because that's that's just what makes sense for them to actually be speaking. <laughs> it's, uh, it's also happens in anime too, of course. When you have like, yeah. a foreign speaker that's supposed to speak English uh, to people that only speak Japanese, then when you have to like yes. dub it all, you're like, what? You just can't read. Yep. <laughs> you can't understand him at all. Is that the problem? I don't know. 
There's, there are a couple of dubs where it's like, wow, your Japanese is excellent. And they say <laughs> yeah, that in like, English. Uh, yeah. You just kind of, yeah, that's just how it is. Um, <laughs> it's challenging to localize stuff. Yeah. Uh, or like, I, I know like Persona 4 when they're like, uh, man, English is so tough. I hate English. They're all speaking English uh, in the dub. <laughs> Anyways. Perfect. Uh, but yeah, this game is, it's basically the same game as before in terms of, style tone it um it added a lot of these quality of life uh additions now in terms of new content it revolves around a new character named alex and this is not a spoiler but uh basically instead the premise she wants to kill you and you don't know why it's, it's, while you're progressing through the game as your player character there's there's a point where you meet alex for the first time and she's basically like i'm going to kill you and then uh, I'm not going to say what happens there, but it it ultimately transports you to a new additional dungeon that was added to this remake. Uh, they call it the Womb of Grief, and basically how, what this is it's sort of a it's sort of a parallel dungeon to the main game, the original game that you can't access it and complete it all in one go. You kind of have to jump back and forth between the main storyline and this new dungeon as you progress through the main game. You can you you, you slowly periodically gain more access to more places in this new dungeon. And so you kind of access it in parallel. And as you progress through this new dungeon, you learn more about Alex, you learn more about what she's trying to do and what, uh, who she is and all that. And it ultimately leads to the original game had three endings. Pretty typical for uh, Shin Megami Tensei. It had a law, neutral, and chaos kind of routes. Yeah, uh, That's pretty common. That's exactly what SMT4 had, for example. The if you complete the new dungeon, it basically makes three more endings: another law, another neutral, another chaos ending, more related to basically Alex's storyline. And uh, I have not seen all the endings. What I did for my review is I, I I went the chaos route, and I saw the original chaos ending, and I saw the new chaos ending. And no spoilers, but the endings aren't. How do I put this? First of all, Alex's storyline is really not all that substantial. It's not like this giant new like expansion pack or something like that. It's just kind of a, a, a little twist on things, but I feel like it's enough to, to be interesting enough and it alters the ending, not dramatically so, but just enough to be kind of worthwhile to check out the new ending. And you have to go through a couple of new dungeons, a couple of new bosses. So it's, you know, it's, it feels rewarding in a sense to get to that point. Um, and I guess what I'm getting at here is sometimes I feel like Atlas additions to their games, whether it's a uh, uh, Radiant Historia or Persona 4 Golden or or what have you, Digital or Devil's Survivor Overclocked. Sometimes I feel like the additions in terms of content aren't really worth it. In this game, I feel like they are. It just kind of feels like more of the same game, just more of it. And that's in this case, a good thing, I think. Yeah. Uh, so I enjoyed it. Yeah, it, 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 like it, Odin Spear. Sorry to cut you off, but like Odin yeah. Spear had like a new battle system and everything. So that was another example of them going like a lot further than it could have. I mean, oh yeah, a lot of vanillaware, mostly Atlas. Of course, this is internal, but yeah, still fascinating. <laughs> I just mean like compared to Persona Four Golden. I know yeah. some people hate Marie. They think it drags on. It ruins the pacing <laughs> or whatever. Uh, in this game, I feel like it doesn't really do that. It's 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 not the, the story in terms of like story stuff. It's not really big enough to be dramatic enough uh to be like a to change it really positively or negatively it's just kind of a small twist on things and it is optional you don't have to do it uh but it just it's i think it's i think it works well it's 
it's fun. That's it's more of the same. So yeah, I really enjoyed the game. It is a a dungeon crawler, uh, and I know some people they if they can't see their characters in battle besides the little portrait, they don't care. They don't they don't like it, which is fine. Um, but in terms of like SMT games and what I what I want from them, uh, Train Journey almost hits or checks all the boxes. You know, really fascinating storyline, kind of interesting characters and how they represent the different uh, alignment ciphers. This, you know, cool, cool. I love the Kaneko art. I know it's been around forever, but I still love it. Uh, and yeah, there's a couple, there's a handful of new demons in the game. In fact, there's even one demon, Maria, who was only previously seen in uh, Shin Megami Tensei 9, which is the uh, online Xbox game. Was that what it was? Yeah, that was well. It, okay, so just uh, just quickly, it's that it was an exclusive for the original Xbox. What it was supposed to be it was that it was supposed to set up for the potential of an online game. Oh, that's so right. They they basically decided to cut that off and just make it its own like single player experience. And it was the it's the same what happened with like Level Five and True Fantasy Live Online is that there was this breakup of communication. They got uh, upset with each other and then they just ended their relationship right there. That's why you don't really yeah. see many Atlas games on a Microsoft console because. Uh, of that bad relationship from back then and uh, knowing Atlas Japan they probably still hold that grudge <laughs> and so uh, it, it was supposed to be an online game that ended up being uh, Shimagami Tensei Imagine uh, that's, that's it I yeah I was getting I, I was making sure I got 9 and Imagine not mixed up yeah, yeah. but anyways I was just mentioning that a lot of SMT games now when they add new demons they're drawn by new artists which you know some people like and some people are they just all they care about is Kaneko art yeah, but it's actually kind of interesting that one of the demons, Maria, in this game is almost a brand new Kaneko demon because they were drawn by Kaneko back, you know, back in the Xbox days. But that's that's the only other instance, the only other game they were in was that Xbox game. So this is the first time to see them. I would love to see really be remastered. Have you? I don't know if you've ever seen footage of the. Of- yeah, I've I've seen a couple. I don't know if I've seen footage. I've seen a couple of screenshots, and it's like. I don't know. It's 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 interesting. It's weird. It's like isometric, yeah. and then they get transported yes. to like a different battle screen. It's like all like sci-fi and everything. It's it's kind of bizarre when you cons- compare it to like the other entries in the series. Yeah, and I will say, just after playing um, Persona Five, and after playing this Persona Five, I bring up. I know it's not quite an SMT, but it has those uh, the high the the, the well done models for a lot of the SMT demons. Yeah. But I am really pumped to see what they do with Shimagami Tensei Five. You know, it's been a long time since uh, a mainline Shimagami Tensei game has been on consoles, and yeah. Yeah, like it's, we've seen like a little bit of it, and like the the shot of them, like you know, people being like bloody in some sewer and all that. Like, and and the, obviously, what, are they brother and sister like fighting back to back? Is that what they're supposed to be? I, I don't. I'm not. I don't know if we know yet. Yeah, um, just a boy and a girl like standing with a bunch of demons around them, about to attack them. It just looks like, obviously, like with Strange Journey, it's like a, it's a mature story uh, that's dark and, and frightening in a way that, like you said, it's like a horror mystery game is kind of what you describe Strange Journey Redux uh, yeah. or Strange Journey in general. It's like more horror themed games is something I'm really into. Like I would want more of that stuff. So, one person described to me that like he, this person is actually not a fan of some modern Atlas games, but he, he, the way he described it to me was Atlas used to be like this sort of um, punk type 
uh, tone to it in terms of you know Digital Devil Saga or or Nocturne and those games. For Shin Megami Tensei, you would not think they're punk because it's a bunch of like weird like Japanese yeah. businessmen and like in some like a uh, boardroom like screaming their heads off. It was just yeah. the worst. <laughs> I would recommend going and checking those out. Anyone out there? Because boy, those commercials are ass if they were trying to be punk. But yeah. You got the style that that's that they kind of still are in a way that they try to play things differently. But just you know, it's just I love Strange Journey. I thought Shimigami Tensei Four and Apocalypse were both pretty good. I think now I think I do prefer Strange Journey in terms of just its tone and its style more. Um, but I'm I'll, let me just say the the small bit that we have seen of Shimigami Tensei Five so far so good, and we'll see what they do with it. One last thing before we go, then, uh, before we move on, it's that I want you to compare, because you seem pretty uh, high on this one, uh, though, then again, the score is a little bit different here. Shin Megami Tensei Apocalypse versus Strange Journey Redux, which do you think you prefer more? Well, Apocalypse... The the effort to remaster or or produce enhanced content, too. Well, first of all, Apocalypse is a sequel. Um, It, of course, takes a lot of mechanical things from the original game and improves them. Now, in terms of, I don't want to drag this on too long, but in terms of like the structure and the mechanics of things, Apocalypse almost fixes every issue that Shimigami Tensei Four has. Yeah. Uh, it it they it, it almost feels like they took a list of all the different criticisms that SNT Four had and basically just patched them one by one to, and, and addressed them all, and that's really good. Um, just one example in the original Shimigami Tensei Four for 3DS, the enemy demon. Like, like map icons will chase you endlessly. Even if you are 90 levels higher than them, they want to fight you and they are annoying. Like, I don't want to fight you. Go away. Uh, in Apocalypse, they, they basically make the smart tweak where if you are so many levels higher than, a, than an enemy, they will ignore you. <laughs> they don't want to fight. Uh, and that just makes things a lot less tedious when you're trying to explore around. Yeah. Um, especially because like, especially the games do require a little bit of backtracking. So... It, it kind of sucks when you have to backtrack and avoid all these low-level demons. Now, in terms of uh, storyline and characters, I, I don't mean this to be derogatory, at least not totally. Uh, Apocalypse kind of feels like Shimagami Tensei, the anime. It's it's a lot more juvenile in terms of just it's uh, kids. It's a lot. It, it's a lot more shonen in terms of like power of friendship. Uh, you know, got to get stronger, got to protect people I care about, and it's yeah. just. It's it's okay, I guess, but it does not have nearly the same tone and like style that Four has, that Digital Devil Saga has, that Nocturne or Strangeron has. Yeah, it's more like the Devil Survivor games, which are also a little more anime. Yeah. And by anime, I just mean it's a little bit lighthearted, and it just that just kind of feels a little bit weird for SMT. Um, I do think the game is pretty good, Apocalypse, especially because it does fix a lot of things and in terms of battle and combat things. It's I do think it improved dramatically, but it does kind of, it does feel, you have to adjust to it, I guess. Um, so I do hope that SMT5 is a little bit more like Strange Journey and a little bit less like Apocalypse, just because I feel like that style is something you don't see often. So I hope they don't, I, I hope they keep it in terms of the, the, the this more, uh, uh, I don't want. I don't want to just say dark style, but like this kind of mysterious, moody style that Strange Journey has, or or other SMT games. So yeah. definitely feels like we're getting some of that. Uh, those themes from the little bit of like I, that they've shown. Yeah, like I said, so far so good. So. 
We'll find out. Uh, for me, it's not been much. Uh, of course, I put up my review for Atelier, Lydia, and Sewell, which, like my review stated, I was kind of bummed out about uh, in, a, in a big way because I was one of those few guys that liked Atelier Affairs because it decided to go way more open in its map design. It was an emphasis on exploration because the whole thing was that you're a girl who's learning how to become an alchemist, and so she travels abroad in the outdoors and goes to like these a bunch of different places, and she tries to pass the uh, alchemist exam, and so she has to travel to different cities to meet the uh, the uh, the master alchemist there and, and learn from them to in order to pass the test and get the the stamp necessary to basically enter the exam in the first place. Uh, but this it went back to the traditional design of having small areas that you go from zone to zone like uh, in the overworld map is just you know point to point uh once you have the fast travel system you're basically not seeing much of any of the world and so it becomes this thing where like the world is no longer cohesive it's it's basically the world building is very uh you know um very basic huh. <laughs> i guess uh saying that word again but um and the characters aren't that great either, uh, outside of like a couple. Just like the main two characters are pretty good. Uh, they work off each other well because they're twins, but they have like different personalities, as you'd expect. Otherwise, it's extremely anime, extremely moe, and I couldn't really get into it that much, which is a bummer. And I mentioned also in the review that I hope that they figure things out because they're about to announce their 20th anniversary project, and I'd like to see them do something a little more ambitious than they have been, which the last game tried to, and I hope they improved on here, but they didn't. So they didn't even... I, I do f- I do feel like for some of these, especially longer-term series... Eventually, they do need to to take a break and and uh, I don't want I don't want to say reinvent themselves, but uh, go in a different direction maybe or change things up a little bit rather than just pumping out yearly annual sequels that are all pretty samey. Yeah, um, take longer. You know, that's what Call of Duty did, Battlefield did, uh, Assassin's well, like, Creed certainly did, or even like now this is speculative, but. Um, the Tales series, they seem to have taken a little bit of a break after Berseria. Yeah, uh, you know, that's almost been two years in Japan. Yeah. And, like, uh, Berseria was pretty good. At least it was an improvement it, on Zestiria. It, it was a PS3 game that was ported right. to PS4. So it's still, like, it's still like uh, hi- uh, hindered by its limitations of hardware. And so, yeah, it was using an old engine that they improved on. Or at least, was it? Or Berseria, was that on a new engine? I forget. No, it was pretty much the same engine. The Tales games since, like, Zillia have all been, like, the same sort of... Yeah. Not exact same style, but very similar. Um, Anyways, they're they're clearly giving it a little bit more time, and I hope the next Tales game is, you know, just not... is changes things up just a little bit, you know? Yeah. Because... Take some of the good stuff from uh, from Bazaria with like the good characters, uh, the good cast. I mean, uh, and tried to find ways to make it way more competitive against the other titles. Like you know, it, like for a while there, it felt like Tales, the Tales series, would be. I guess in many cases, a lot of people consider it to be way better than Final Fantasy, just because they were coming out a lot more frequently <laughs> compared to Final Fantasy, where you had to wait obviously several years yeah. between uh, thirteen and fifteen. So it'd be interesting to see. Um, what they do with that but yeah just I, I, on that, so. I, I do i do want to make a kind of a dumb comment um so for people who don't know you and me we are both twins yeah no, we're not we're not brothers but not we each have a twin brother other, but we're twins in general yeah. yes and this is this might sound a little bit silly but i oftentimes find that twins 
in fiction are poorly like represented. I don't, this sounds kind of really silly, like compared to like people who have actual representation problems, but um, in media, but twins are usually like, like joke characters that, you know, they're either behave exactly the same or they are literally complete and total opposites. Yeah. And you know, it just, there are basically to make them seem like they're like polar opposites when they're not really, it's like, no, it's, it's not really like that at all. You know, we're so like, there are a couple of, game twins that i like like i, I like final fantasy 12's gabranth and bosh like they have they're yeah. kind of at odds with each other but they have like this relationship now i know you're not a super big fan of final fantasy 12 but they just I feel mean, like they each were char- yeah those two characters i liked like the- each character they're not opposites they each have their own motives they care for each other in a brotherly way i also like um devola and popola from the near series although they kind of act uh i mean it's hard to describe exactly, but I feel like they balance the sort of, you know, tone and style that they're going for with Nier, but they are still very twins and sisterly. They rely uh, heavily on each other, which is kind of yes. important too. Yeah. And uh, there's actually one more other pair of twins that I was thinking of, but I can't. Anyways, there are a couple of pairs of twins that I feel like these twins actually act like twins and don't act like, you know, polar opposite, you know, just fake characters because like a joke character i don't know <laughs> so totally. I, 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 when i saw this atelier game focused on twins I'm like I, I wonder if they're they're actually gonna like act like real world believable twin sisters or are they gonna be like are they gonna do the usual anime one of them is super serious and one of them is super silly and you know i don't know <laughs> yeah we're you know dante and virgil i don't know it's it's been kind of um <laughs> It's 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 the thing where it's it's like they they could basically be just be sisters, but I mean yeah. if, if, there are definitely elements of that kinship that they have because they also can sometimes, uh, you know, non-verbally understand what the other person's feeling, which is kind of like the same thing that twins sometimes go through. It's not the same where like if you hurt one twin, the other one feels it. Yeah. It's just more that there's like that sort of that that deeper connection that is innate understanding. Yeah. yeah, just regular brothers, but you know, um. Sometimes it just feels like that's just a mental thing. But yeah, also because we share a lot of the same interests. That's also kind of the thing too. Um, but yeah, it's 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 one of those games. But other than that, I've been also catching up on that RPG Limit Break marathon, which has been exciting to see because it's my excuse to spend all week just watching RPGs be played really fast. Uh, and it's kind of insane to see a game like... I remember a year or two ago seeing Final Fantasy 13 beaten in like five hours, <laughs> which is when you think about that game, it's yeah. kind of intense. Uh, you know, and same with, same with other games too, like, you know, Final Fantasy six, or, um, I, I watched the Nino Kuni playthrough, which was really fun. Uh, and the Final Fantasy eight one, uh, actually this is something that, you know, people may not be too into speed runs. Maybe if they're listening to this, but like the Final Fantasy eight speed run that they did was one highly entertaining and also, highly informative it was actually kind of great to see them because as you play the game as they played the game they explained what was happening in the story why they were doing the things that they were doing some of the um critiques that people had of the game and you know also commenting about the music it was it was a great time and so like that event is actually wrapping up pretty quick uh, pretty soon um and that that's been like uh, the Nino Kuni, Final Fantasy VIII, and actually the Lufia II uh, Ancient Cave playthroughs are pretty pretty good. So um, that's been kind of taking up a lot of my time, and it looks like pretty soon I'll have a, another game I'm, I'm supposed to play, but we'll see about that. So with that, 
let's head into the news. So first topic is the biggest news of the week, of course. So uh, over in Burbank, uh, Disney World Stu- uh, Disney Studios, uh, they brought up a bunch, brought a bunch of people from press and and different uh, influencers to. Uh, yeah, I'm like you're talking about with E3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that, and that included Alex, who is not an influencer, as far as I know. He's he's just a, a big press guy. Uh, he got to check out Kingdom Hearts three. Um, so they, of course, showed some new footage of the game, revealed a new world, uh, and also we we got a better idea of the gameplay. Now, uh, I'll... did they reveal a new world? I don't think they did. Like they revealed Wreck It Ralph, but he's a, a summon. A, I think I don't think well, they revealed he... that before. No, but he—it's he, not his world. It's like he's a summon character. Oh, I, I, okay. I thought kind of like that's kind of like how Ariel. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that I'm not trying to get too much into it because I personally right. am really excited to play it, and I and I do that thing like other people do, where it's like I go like a bit of a media blackout, even if I yeah. cover it. So uh, I don't know, Adam. You tell me like how deep we want to go into this. Well. um this the preview footage and screenshots and impressions that they've shown um it looks like a lot of it was based on the toy story world in the game which was announced uh earlier not too long ago uh and also they showed a couple of things that they've shown before like uh you fight the rock titan from hercules they showed the hercules world they also showed a wreck it ralph is a summon creature okay uh and they also showed how like summons work in terms of giving you like a different control scheme in terms of how you actually like do combat. And that's something that's not new to Kingdom Hearts where different like Kingdom Hearts 2, for example, had a bunch of different wacky things that occurred depending on your form and summon and uh, your partner characters and things like that. And it seems like Kingdom Hearts 3 is really kind of embracing that lots of weird, silly, zany, wacky kingdom hearts things you can do um so alex wrote up his uh his impressions on the on the on our website he basically he basically uh listed it into five different components the the first one is i'll quote him combat is the most free form and accomplished in the series yet and that's i think that's what i was getting at with he says like transforming keyblades uh different keyblades are on the fly combos doing things with the uh you can turn them monsters in keyblade can turn into a set of yo-yos that have a unique moveset <laughs> and things like that it's, it's, yeah. yeah so so lots of different battle styles in this action rpg and it seems like they're really embracing that uh, i won't go through the rest of his uh his comments here but it feels like a real thing now uh it's kind of hard to believe that kingdom hearts 3 was announced almost five years ago uh <laughs> Yeah, and I that mean, was and that was. Uh, I'm trying to think. The most besides remasters, the most recent Kingdom Hearts game, like uh, was a side, you know, a, a side game, a spinoff, was a uh, Dream Drop Distance for 3DS, and I think that was 2011, 2012. Yeah, I mean, if you don't want to count <laughs> 0.2 or whatever, yeah, but yeah, that little demo 2.8 with a little bit of extra on it. Yeah, it's. It's been um that was so I it's been a while in 2012 or something like that 2012 for uh for Dream Drop Distance I just looked it up um and it's coming out this year there there are some reports that like the game is going to be get a release date early next month it's like geez I wonder what's happening early next month where they might announce that yeah it seems uh, like that's going to be yeah the release date announcement it will be interesting to hear like when they're going to uh, time it because of course they got Shadow of the Tomb Raider this fall as well 
And, and uh, I could maybe see them doing so. Dragon Quest. Dragon yeah, Quest September. is September. Uh, Tomb Raider is October, right? Yes. And they could maybe do Kingdom Hearts in November. But I will say, it would not surprise me if they decided to push Kingdom Hearts into early next year. But well, I, that's September, that, by the way. Sorry to cut you off. Oh, oh Tomb Raider is also September. Yeah, the fourteenth. Okay. <laughs> so oh. it could be October. It could be a Christmas game because that was like yeah. uh, before. I think Kingdom Hearts was. Well, actually, I think let me let me look this up. I'm kind of curious to see like when the Kingdom Hearts games typically come out because I know Final Fantasy X was like a Christmas game. That's why uh, it's like in my head. Um, okay, so in Japan it was around Christmas time. Uh, in America it's like around the springtime. Uh, mm-hmm. Kingdom Hearts two it was the reverse. Kingdom Hearts two it came out in March in Japan and September in in, Amer- in America. So it's you know it's up, but it could definitely be late fall, uh, early winter. You know, in my opinion, because they need something yeah. for this for for the holiday season because they don't have yeah. anything else. <laughs> this would be a big for them. So I, I would say it's most. I didn't realize Dragon Quest and R- Tomb Raider were the same month. Yeah, uh, a weeks apart. Not even a couple mm-hmm. weeks, like less than a week. So yeah, I, th- I think it makes sense for Kingdom Hearts to be their November game, basically. Yeah. Uh, so I'm hopeful for that. <laughs> I mean, it's exciting. And uh, keep it in context. I mean, Alex uh, never really liked the combat, for example, at all. Like he constantly talks about how he feels like the combat in Kingdom Hearts is the sh- is shit. And he, uh, you know, and, and generally speaking. From what he said about his impressions, not just in that article, but to us on our Discord, he was just talking up about how much better it was and how excited he is because it it did like it turned a lot of the uh, traditional elements on its head. Like they've got like first person action in it too, which is crazy. Well, uh, and personally, cool. uh, so yeah, it's Alex is not shy to say he just hates Kingdom Hearts combat, at least up to before now. Um, and but personally, the what I'm kind of hoping for is so Kingdom Hearts Two is a really smooth game and a really flashy game, but I do think it's actually kind of shallow in a way in terms of it is a little bit button mashy. Now, uh, Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep is a little bit more rigid, so it's not as it's not as flashy or smooth. But I do think it's there's a little bit more depth to the combat in terms of how you select your character like abilities and how you grow them and things like that. Yes. Um, and I, I, I kind of hope that Kingdom Hearts three is sort of takes the best of both of those, where it's it's smooth, flashy, but maybe not so mashy, maybe not so shallow. Um, and Maldi, so you know? yeah, that's well, like Kingdom Hearts two, for example. I, I replayed it on PS four, and I kind of feel like there's not every battle. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, make. I don't want to simplify this too far. But there are a lot of cases where you basically dodge an attack and then you just press X a bunch, the attack button, and you kind of watch Sora do these super cool flips and shit uh, as he's attacking. And it's just kind of, it's like, okay, I guess that works. Whereas, for example, in Birth by Sleep, you literally cannot do that. Your X combo is limited to three hits and then you have to perform your other abilities to to continue. Um, So I kind of hope it, I, I hope it's smooth, you know, Kingdom Hearts, high, high, high action, fast paced, but I do hope it's they they actually put a little bit of thought in terms of how you pull off combos and chain attacks and throwing in throwing in all the wacky zany elements from the summons and the magic and whatnot. It has a lot of potential, I think. Um, so one thing that comes to mind is maybe a near automata. Obviously, I know platinum is like the 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 master at action games, 
But Near Automata, uh, while it did kind of seem a little bit shallow to me at first, when you, when I started doing some of those challenge dungeons, I kind of realized how deep you can go with some of the stuff they can do. Um, but that's an aside. I just kind of hope that Kingdom Hearts three it, it has a high it has a lot of potential, and we'll see how they where they go with it. Yeah, I mean, Kingdom Hearts two is one of my favorite games ever, and you know, even with the like, I can understand people's problems with the combat because i definitely felt it at times during the game where i felt like the game was working against me at some points i still felt like the ending of kingdom hearts 2 was insanely cool like with uh, with how everything was so crazy with uh, with uh, you were pressing buttons of course but a lot of it was just watching it unfold in front of you i do feel like yeah birth by sleep um was way more engaging with the combat i i covered the uh the original PSP release, I did not play the uh, the remaster, the final mixed version, so I don't know how it performs on like not anything other than a single analog stick and a couple buttons. Yeah. So I'm I'm interested, and actually it makes me want to get over there and and grab my copies of the 1.5, 2.5, and the 2.8 that I all I have all of that stuff and get to that before three comes out. Uh, I might be doing that actually because there's not a whole lot on my plate. But yeah, it's exciting, <laughs> and it means that you know. Aside from Dragon Quest Eleven it's, uh, and Valkyria Chronicles Four, which is also exciting, um, it's another big title for this year that just makes 2018 seem pretty pretty amazing for video games. So we'll see how how that rolls on. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep it on that same topic of Square Enix, though. I don't know if you have any experience with Final Fantasy Eleven, uh, Adam, but uh, they did show some screens. For the Final Fantasy XI mobile remake. So uh, to give some context for this, uh, Nix- Nexon, who is the ones developing the Final Fantasy XI mobile remake, which was originally announced about like six years ago, I think. Uh, maybe actually, was it six years ago? It was, it was a long time ago. It was, long, it was back when Final Fantasy XI was still getting new content, to give you an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... The, yeah, the Korean-based developer, uh, they were the ones working on this mobile remake, which was supposed to inject some new excitement around the around the game, and it was supposed to be out a long time ago. Like, it wasn't just that it started being developed then. I think it was supposed to be slated around the time they announced it, but obviously, for one reason or another, uh, it's been having some trouble. Uh, but yeah, uh, as soon as last year, during G-Star, I think I mentioned this last week, uh, as well, but like uh, Naoki Yoshida, who's the one running um, business uh, on Final Fantasy XIV, and he also helps on. I think Final it's BD Five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to remember what the uh, the BD Five. I think it's Business Division Five. I think. It is. It is. You're right. <laughs> okay. uh, business Division Five. That's the one I was trying to think of. Like the Business Division <laughs> is what I, I messed up on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's they they had uh, a job opening for a couple of different people. I think one was like a, a character modeler and an animation person. I think, uh, but they showed about six or seven screens of the upcoming Final Fantasy Eleven mobile remake, uh, which is kind of funny because this is coming off of that one modder who released an HD uh, texture uh, upgrade uh, mod. On, on his on his channel and so that's available of course for people who are playing it right now and actually this past week they've had this return to Vena deal uh promotion campaign which is that anyone who has an account for Final Fantasy 11 in the past can play the game for free and for the next few more days i think so uh that was something that people could try out but now we've got a better idea what this is and it seems like based on the what they're showing and you know they're still hiring of course is that that game could probably enter at least uh closed beta as soon as this year so uh that should be interesting because it seems to be potentially because of nexon's history this might be a free-to-play version of final Fantasy 11 which is odd 
because there was also that news around people like, oh, we're going to get like an offline version of Final Fantasy 11, or like, is it ever going to go like completely free to play the PC release, you know, and or see it on like the PlayStation 4, I think was actually the, the other one. Um, and basically, that the answer was no <laughs> for that. Yeah. It's the same as asking for 14 being offline. It's like they can't make any money that way. Why would they want to do that, you know? So uh, at least with the mobile version and it goes free to play, it's another source of revenue for them. And I assume it's going to be pretty crazy. Did you ever play Eleven at all? Well, I have not. I, I know some people who have kind of been playing off and on s- s- since the beginning. Yeah, and it's totally the case. Actually, it's been a, it's been around. Uh, so it's I will it's, say people who have not played it lately, uh, or at least in the past like several years, uh, it's way more solo friendly than it's ever been. Uh, that was yeah. one of the biggest complaints is that, yeah, you may have heard of this too, is that it was very much a party-based game and that if you decided to go along, you would really struggle, especially after like level 30 or so. Uh, you needed to have a party with you or else you have, you have trouble. Yeah. Now it's like you've got uh things where it's like you know the level scale like the the content scales around your level you have uh partner characters you can summon like little mercenaries that you can have with you to fight with you uh as and just uh, in the grand scheme it's just that a lot of the content now is just way more solo focused so that's made it a lot more enjoyable for people who just don't want to really get into that mm-hmm. too much uh so that's that's been kind of great and i hope that that carries over to this bubble remake as well uh, and sticking on Final Fantasy in general, it's that uh, so earlier today, I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, at yeah, all. I saw this. Okay, yep. cool. We can talk about really this. Cool. I'm glad you're on this because we're both big fans of this yeah. uh, series. So uh, Yasumi Matsuno uh, had a stream on Nico Nico, which is the Japanese YouTube, basically, uh, with the Final Fantasy 14 team. So they're having this big... Um, uh, event in Final Fantasy XIV called Return to Ivelisse, uh, which is Ivelisse being, of course, the, the universe that Final Fantasy Tactics takes place in. And so, uh, as part of that, he was playing Final Fantasy Tactics, uh, which is, <laughs> I, I want to go and watch this pretty soon, but yeah, he was playing with it, and during that live broadcast, um, he was playing with some of the old team members that he uh, that helped him on Tactics. Uh, they were showing off of what is apparently scrapped plans for a sequel so um the, apparently what was the case was that final fantasy tactics after it was released uh and around the time vagrant story was being created uh hironobu sekiguchi of course who used to work for square enix and is the creator of final fantasy uh was planning a final fantasy tactics 2 project now i don't know what the context was because you know there's also like the whole tactics ogre stuff going on around that time still i think that's actually this was post that stuff anyway uh, there were discussions about whether or not Squaresoft could develop uh, Final Fantasy Tactics 2 internally, but apparently they wanted to... I'm saying apparently a lot, by the way, I just noticed. But they decided to outsource it. They didn't talk about who they outsourced it to, unfortunately, but uh, this was supposed to be a 3D game, which I don't know how to feel about that. Yeah, and it also had a hex-based... Uh, hexagon-based uh, grid system. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like the Civilization games, which is kind of funny because... so there's this Wild thing. Arms. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Wild <laughs> Arms. That's actually a, a good example. Wild Arms 4 or 5 have it, or XF for an actual strategy RPG. 
Exactly. That that's the funny thing. And it's funny because so there's this other game being developed called Unsung Story, Tale of the Guardians. Uh people who don't know, Tale Unsung Story is this old Kickstarter project from around 2014 that uh the big selling point was that Yasumi Matsuno was creating the design document for the game. Um so but apparently that I mean yeah, that fell uh, to the wayside, the people that were originally working on it. Instead, uh, this company called Little Orbit took over, uh, along with another company called Taurus Games, and they're working on it right now. Uh, so what they did is that they actually took that concept of the hexagon-based system, and it's being used in Unsung Story. So even if it's not going to be in Tactics 2, and there's some screens that, you know, um, that, that they, they shared of what it looks like, which is, you know, it looks bizarre, honestly. Like it's got the two D art, but uh, with the three D environments. Uh, I guess there's still sprite characters, but it could be placeholders, yeah. as far as I know. Um, sorry, just I got an email about uh, from something. But anyway, uh, it looks kind of bizarre. Uh, but uh, in Unsung Story, it's that they're using that type of uh, UI design uh, for the combat, and it's kind of funny because uh, let me let me I'm looking at it right now of what they're trying to explain. Like apparently, yeah, it's super challenging to try to make uh, that look good because instead of um, you know moving from hexagon to hexagon, it's all it's it's like a triangle system. Instead, yeah. so you're talking about like trying to move between vertices <laughs> of a triangle and attacking characters that way. So even if back then Yasumi Mitsuno couldn't release a sequel, it seems like he took that idea he had of trying to develop a game with a very unique battle system and took it over to Unsung Story. I think I talked about this on an earlier podcast where the developers at Little Orbit went over to Japan and met Yasumi Matsuno, talked about this. And he insisted that they kept that battle system. They were thinking of changing it back to, you know, the regular grid-based square-to-square system. But he wanted them to keep this triangle, like this triangle uh, movement uh, system instead. Did, and so they're sticking with it. It's it's crazy because you have to... I, me- I remember Matsuno had some sort of soundbite, some quote... Where he's like, I, oh man, I wish I could, I wish I knew what it was. I remember he had some some pretty harsh quote, like "You have to be ambitious, or else this is not worth doing." Type of yeah, thing. Yeah, that's probably related. It was, I don't remember what it was, and I, it's not really the type of thing I can look up. I think, uh, but uh, yeah, he was he had some harsh words. It seems like in terms of, I really want to do this this way. Um, so. Let me see if I can find that, but I don't know how to search that for was, that. Really. That was something that um, that was told by Little Orbit. Uh, told to Little Orbit, the guy who's who's basically like the the head person there. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was something about like if you try to be ambitious or don't do it at all. It's like why? Oh, it, it was about basically they were trying to copy too much of Final Fantasy Tactics, and so because of that, it's like why even bother that? Because all this is like window dressing at this point, and you shouldn't make a game all based around that kind of design. It's that you need to f- find what's going to make your concept unique and not try to uh, try to basically ride the coattails of another game's success. And so with mm-hmm. this. And, and there's like a new update for people who want to see it on Kickstarter for Unsent Story. I believe these updates are public. And so if you want to go check it out, just search for, of course, the Kickstarter for Unsent Story. This latest update, I think, was out today. It shows about how, how they're having some 
trying to figure out how to use the triangle grid to get around the environments. Uh, we're talking about like you know any kind of obstructions in the way, going from different heights. Imagine doing that, but on the vertices of a triangle. It's insane, and it makes me even more excited for the game. And of course, they're picking up all these different in- influences, like the XCOM games, because there's a very strict unit movement in that game in that series as well. Uh, particularly the older ones, not like the more recent ones, which is still sort of you know square based, but um, kind of curious to see how that'll go but that's that's fun and uh because he's working closer with square enix more than ever it seems since he left the company back around the development of 12 because uh, he used to be the former director of final fantasy 12 before he left the company around that time uh due to mm-hmm. illness which you know, along with perhaps some other things uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh if they decide to do other things maybe even develop a new uh tactics game it'll be Great to hear them announce tactics for Steam at E3, maybe, but we'll find out, I guess. Um, yeah, that's 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 the some crazy things that have been happening for that, and now we can move into our last topic. Uh, Sony uh, announced that they are going to be ceasing production of physical Vita carts. Now, originally, this just sounded like it was going to be like a global thing, but they came back and specified that this was only going to be affecting America and Europe. Not Japan, because the Vita sold uh, pretty well there. Uh, it competed uh, uh, strongly with the 3DS, because, of course, Japan being a very uh, mobile um, c- uh, country, basically, they, they, they are on trains and buses and all that kind of stuff all the time, that they have time to sit down and play a mobile, uh, excuse me, a handheld game way more often than maybe a lot of people do in the West. So... Uh, they said they're going to be any production of that by the end of the fiscal year, which is March 31st, 2019, which is around the same time that they're removing a lot of the PlayStation Plus games uh, and leaving only, instead of giving you like two PS4 games, two PS3 games, and two Vita games, they're going to cut it down to two PS4 games only. And it doesn't sound like they're going to do anything to put anything, like, not they're not going to make up for it. Um, it just sounds like that, yeah, the Vita is pretty much kind of dead. Which is sad. I well, I mean, there aren't that many games that are at least Vita exclusive anymore. So there are a lot of games. There are the few games that are coming out for Vita still are usually are also on PS4 or something else. What's the, what's the, there are a couple though. Yeah. Like I think some of the Access games, the the Otome games they've been releasing. Yes. Um, I don't have the title. The titles are all, you know, Otome game titles. I didn't realize, you know, that was the... That well, there's like... Recently. Well, that, that one went on PS4, but there's also like... I, I might totally botch this, but it was like Psychedelica or something like that. Yeah, Bad Apple. Uh, uh, it was... There was... Uh, Nor 9 uh, was another one. Uh, I mean, of course, you got... Uh, they're all also tied to Ultimate, which is an Idea Factory label. So you've got uh, Amnesia. But oh, yeah. Again, Psychedelica of the Black Butterfly yes. um, was one of them. And that's a Vita game. But uh, at the same time, as you say that, uh, all those games, uh, and they're announcing more lately even, uh, they're all coming to the Nintendo Switch. So that's kind of... Oh, right. I forgot they just announced that. Yeah. But also, um, actually, Limited Run Games, I know, said that they have a couple of Vita games in planning. Yes. Now, I, I don't really, I haven't really worked with, or I haven't really used limited run games that often. So I, you may know more, know more than I do, but I, I know they said that for upcoming Vita games that they have basically already planned out for release, those will not be affected. 
Yeah. So, so apparently, limited run uh, games. Who uh, Doug, who works there, uh, was one of the the head guys there. He said even on Twitter that he got in trouble before for commenting on an unconfirmed story. But it's kind of odd because Kotaku, Kotaku, who reported on this initially. A Sony spokesperson confirmed to them that this story was real, and so and that they will be any production for those games. They did. He did say on Twitter, and I think we even put that the original article for us uh, that that uh, actually no, we didn't. I think we maybe mentioned it on Twitter ourselves, but uh, that it wasn't going to have a big impact because yes, they had signed all the big games they wanted to uh, release on the Vita, and that will they'll be able to do that up until February of next year. So I think in June it's that they have to you have to make your uh you have to like order dev kits I believe or or actually maybe just actually you don't even need to do that I think it's more just uh let your let it be known that you want to order physical units of something and then in February you have to like kind of finish things up and and get everything produced and then after that they'll they're ending production across the board. This does not impact digital games of course so people who are concerned about that. Uh, there's no problem with that, but it still once again puts up the problem of like once the physical games goes away about rights ownership, you know, because at that point, just like you, of course, Adam, you put that article up about the the uh, the Wii shop closing for the original Wii and the virtual console that you no longer were able to if you for, for some reason at the end of January um Still had credit like the the we uh, what do they call it the what do they call the virtual console or we points the we points yeah it's like by the end of January it's that if you didn't use it you were gonna lose it and then uh, after that if you deleted those games you couldn't re-download them after that so you spent yeah. all that money and now you don't you can't access the game anymore you can't get it back uh which and that also makes me like wonder like for example i'm also actually playing i know i talked about this a couple of weeks ago uh breath of fire 3 yes um i'm playing it on vita i'm playing a psp version um and it's digital i also want to play breath of fire 4 which is a, a playstation 1 game digitally and the thing is well i, I either have to play that on vita or on ps3 you know and both of those systems are older now because you can't play those on PS4. And it just kind of makes me wonder, five years from now, will those still be the only places I can play it? Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of this weird uncertainty. Like, I have a bunch of digital PS1 uh, games, and like I just wonder, going forward, that the PSN, those, those games, like, how... Are you going to shut down like the Wii Shop channel or what? You know, I don't know. <laughs> it's important to point out too. It's that so, despite the fact that they said that this won't impact uh, digital games, it's also important that we point out there's been growing rumors of uh, the next PlayStation, PlayStation Five. Now, Sony did say that they won't have anything to announce regarding hardware at A3 this year, but next year that's that's potentially going to happen uh and that's also obviously the year that they shut down uh physical games for the vita now because they have to sort of uh adjust for having an influx of new users on psn for playstation 5 and playstation 4 it makes it seem that and also because they're ending the support for digital games instant game collection on playstation plus 
it makes it seem like pretty soon they're going to shut down PSN on the Vita. They've already done that on PSP. You can't yeah. access the PSN on your PSP anymore. It makes it seem like Vita, that's going to be happening pretty soon as well. So you might lose rights to that, which makes the whole idea of archival of digital games all the more important. And it makes me hope that one day they'll come to the point where they'll, you know, allow that to be legalized because yeah. emulators and ROMs, uh, that's the only way we can play these games. Otherwise, just imagine, like, my life is a keen. Pretty soon, uh, after January, no one will be able to have access to that anymore because there's no ports yeah. for that game at all. And it's one of the best Wii games available. Uh, or used to be available. Was available. <laughs> yeah, it was available. But you can download the ROM of that and play it whenever. So that's the that's the kind of thing where it's like, uh, at some point, it even if it is a great market, there's going to be a lot of Vita games where that's not going to happen anymore. There was also a bunch of like uh, Vita, excuse me, Sony used to have like this old uh, this old uh, service called PlayStation Minis, which were like these very small indie games that were like maybe a dollar or five dollars, kind of like mobile games now. Uh, but there were a bunch of like only available through the mini service, uh, a bunch of games like that. And uh, they shut that service down like a year or two ago. So unless they happen to have bought those games at that time, you can still re-download them if you own the rights to them from back then when you purchased it. Uh, if they shut down PSN for on the Vita, say goodbye to those as well. So it's like there's no more access to any of that stuff Uh I guess you can partially blame the developers for not even in, like you know trying to bring it to PC, which is you know the, probably the safest place you could put anything now. Uh, until you know Steam starts taking down pages and stuff like that, it's it's been kind of nuts. And I, I think that if yes. I'm not mistaken, I think there are some games on uh, you know the PlayStation Two on PlayStation Three service. Some of those games were taken down. I think for a while, like people thought that they took down the, PS2 well, the and PS4 games too. There's also kind of this weird aside. Uh, Suikoden 3 specifically. Yes. I'm I remember there is, there is some middleware licensing problem where at the time Konami did want to actually bring that to PS4 as, you know, like a PS2 to PS4 game. Yeah. But there is some middleware licensing thing where they just legally could not do it. So they had to bring it to PS3 only, and that's the, that was the only thing they could do. And they did the same for uh, Suikoden 4, I think, as well. And, like, that's it's just some weird licensing thing. Uh, it's like, like, maybe the developers or whatever software they use to make the cinematics or something like that. I, yeah. I don't know for sure. Uh, but that's worse. not exactly related to the storefront stuff, but it's, like, in terms of porting these games, perhaps, it's kind of a weird legal thing in some cases um yeah it, so. it gets worse when you think about um the licensing as you said because it yeah. also it extends to music rights for example the reason you don't see dirge of cerberus or crisis core final fantasy 7 on psn is because Gap. Gap. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that jerk uh for some reason he just does not or bujin guy i mean if you want to even be that because he was the starring character of that um like it's because his songs were used in those games and he uh for some reason won't allow those games to be released on psn or at least he's asking for a lot of money i i forget what the actual thing is it could also be uh, other related matters too um so the crisis core one of the probably the most desirable games to have is only available physically and so once you see physical yep. production the the rates start to jack up all those physical vita games that people own uh, the value is going to shoot way up because, uh, especially for limited run games, it'll be even more so because <laughs> that's the case. 
which was crazy when you saw like was it last year when video games plus a canadian storefront uh brought back what was it like nostalgia and what was that space ds game like that uh i'm trying to remember what it was uh, it was that it was the one from Pla- i think platinum games developed it yeah i know what you're talking about i just can't is infinite, it infinite space that was it yes infinite space uh i was thinking endless I that space was, but that's... was also on at the uh the clock tower people uh but yeah, like the, the, those games, uh, uh, obviously you you can't really get them anymore because they were physical only. So you got the both problems like they cease physical production. If they're limited number mm-hmm. copies, you have to spend like a hundred dollars or more. I mean, you've been buying a lot of physical games lately, so you know uh, the costs associated with that. Um, but boy, it's a real pain, which is crazy, even more crazy. Speaking of which, apparently. Uh, we know. I don't think we've talked about this before. It's that so a lot of people should already know that the PS4 was hacked wide open a while, a while back. Uh, they found out that the Parappa the Rapper game that was released last year, the remastered version, was only just the PSP game sent through a PSP emulator <laughs> to make it HD and put it on the PS4. It was basically just that, and so people have found a way to bring other PSP games to the PS4 using that same uh, wrapper, if you will, uh, the same kind of emulator. So they're trying these other games, and it's like, is this going to be the way for people to play Crisis Core on a, on yeah. a modern system because of this emulator thing that Sony decided to do? It also makes you think that they could totally be doing this right now. Microsoft's been doing this with the original Xbox and Xbox 360 games to put their titles on the Xbox One. Um, it would be great if they did something like that on Sony's side, but I don't know. It's 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 been kind of depressing to see this is how we're we have to go around like this very uh, gray area or even a legal area just to play the games that we spent money on, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just bummer. <laughs> it is. It is. It is a big bummer. And uh, to see the Vita being treated like that, I mean, Sony's been treating this system poorly for years now, uh, but there were still some great games that came out on the platform too. Um, which is funny because like Lumina is probably one of the best games on the PSP and the Vita. Uh, it's going to get a PS4 version like uh, later this month, I think it was, or uh, I think it was June. In fact, I think it was. I think they were delayed it to yeah. June. Yeah, they delayed it to June, so that's going to be happening soon. Uh, but yeah, just kind of depressing, and it's hard to say. Like even if Sony releases a new handheld, it's like, do I want to buy that based on how they treated it, or I'll go to Nintendo where all the niche games are going to anyway. Uh. Last bit of news, but though before we wrap up, I just saw this today. Uh, apparently, so you know, I don't know if you know about this, Adam, but there's a Monster Hunter movie in the works. Yeah, I. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. So uh, it's been in development, and uh, Paul W S Anderson, who handled the Resident Evil games, uh, excuse me, the Resident Evil movies and Mortal Kombat. Fun fact. Uh, he is, of course, going to be develop, uh, working on this. He's directing the Monster Hunter movie. And they just announced the other day, Mila Jovovich <laughs> is going to be uh, starring in the Monster Hunter movie. Are you surprised at all? Uh, nope. <laughs> nope, because she's been in all the Resident Evil movies. And I think, is, is she, isn't she married to Paul W. Sanderson or something like that? I, think I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to look I'm going to this up because I'm almost certain that this is... I just thought this was hilarious because like, you got the Pokemon movie with Ryan Reynolds in, in it and Ken Watanabe, and now you've got... Yep, it's uh, she's married to Paul W. Sanderson. So yeah, that's just... It's it's this weird like 
thing that they have. Like um, nepotism, kind of? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's that. But, uh, you know, it makes sense because the Resident Evil movies apparently grossed over a billion dollars. Like, the last movie apparently grossed over $300 million. I did not know that. That's a lot of money. <laughs> I didn't expect it to do that well, considering it was uh, pretty long in the tooth. But, yeah, anyone who's looking forward to that... Uh, I guess she kind of looks like that uh, the helper character. Uh, but, yeah. That was that was the big piece of news for that. So that's it. We'll, have to, we'll leave it on that bizarre note. Uh, wrap up this podcast and let you guys know where you can find us. You can always find us on RPGSite.net. You can find us on Twitter at RPGSite. On our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash RPGSiteNet. Our YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash RPGSiteNet. You can also find us on iTunes, your favorite podcast app. Just search for TetraCast. I also would recommend, please, please, please leave a review on iTunes for us. It helps us become more um, noticeable on iTunes charts. Uh, and it, when people are searching for us, uh, ours will pop up more because we're getting uh, reviews. So please do that. Whether it's positive or negative, it'll be very helpful for us. Uh, preferably positive. Uh, you can also find us on Discord. Our permanent Discord link is discord.me slash RPG site. Uh, come hang out with us, talk a lot about the games that are coming out. Talk about, we got an E3 room set up, so people want to uh, chat about E3 and all the excitements uh, happening. Please do join us there. Lastly, you can share, we can find us on Twitter. So where can they find you, Adam? K I N G underscore S E D A. And you can find me at Zachary. So that's it for this episode 112 of the TetraCast. Catch us all next week for yet another edition of our podcast. Thank you, everyone. Bye.